The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Bloomberg, sound on. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Bloomberg, sound on. On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. The Democratic field narrows and new polls spell significant potential trouble for President Trump's re-election efforts. But what does it mean for the frontrunner, former Vice President Joe Biden, and the underlying current of fears of a potential economic slowdown and potentially even a recession. We have an all-star panel. Matt Mowers is here, former senior White House advisor for the State Department and president of Matt Mowers LLC, as is Roger Fisk, a Democratic strategist, a longtime Obama aide and principal of New Day Strategy. We're also going to check in with Andy Puzder. He wrote a column in The Washington Post titled, quote, Elizabeth Warren is the real economic threats. Well, I, I would assume President Trump would like that. We'll check in with that as well, plus all the latest political policy headlines. We're crunching the numbers on the polls that have come out, the latest poll, for the uh, 2020 Democratic presidential campaign. A Quinnipiac University survey found that former Vice President Joe Biden leads the pack with 32% support among Democratic and Democratic-leaning voters. Uh, Biden is followed by Senator Elizabeth Warren at 19%, Bernie Sanders at 15%, and Kamala Harris at 7%. Pete Buttigieg, the mayor of South Bend, he got 5%. And Yang, Andrew Yang, received 3%. No other candidates broke out of that. Uh, what's interesting about this poll is that all of those candidates, Biden, Warren, Sanders, Harris, and Buttigieg, beat uh, President Trump in a, in a Trump Democratic nominee matchup by 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 a hefty margin. Uh, so that's my first question to the panel. Matt Mowers is here, former senior White House advisor for the State Department and president of Matt Mowers LLC. Uh, he served in the State Department in the Trump administration. And Roger Fisk, he's a Democratic strategist, longtime, longtime Obama aide and principal of New Day Strategy. Roger, you and I have talked about this offline before, but one of the arguments that I hear from Biden world is that he would be most poised to beat President Trump in a matchup. When you look at these polls that suggest that there are other candidates who could beat Trump one-on-one -on -one in a matchup, does that pose trouble for Biden? Uh, first off, thanks so much for having me. Um, I've never bought electability arguments, uh, not for a long time, because, for example, my first presidential campaign um, was John Kerry. And at this point in the polls, he was polling, I think, at two or three percent, actually below Al Sharpton. So what we think of and what we project onto these situations and what actually happens, 
you know, 15 months from now or whatever are two, two very, very different things. And then as we all know, once it's down to one individual against um, the current occupant, then you're going to have that fire hose of vitriol that he's already got trained and, and ready to roll. So I don't think that anyone should be taking any comfort from these polls that say four and five different people are going to beat him next year. Interesting, interesting. Uh, Matt Mowers, I, I was digging deeper into the Quinnipiac poll, and, and this potentially could pose trouble for President Trump in the sense that it says that for the first time since President Donald Trump was elected, more Americans say that the economy is getting worse rather than getting better. 37% say the economy is declining compared with 31% who continue to see improvement and only about 30% say that the economy is staying the same. The president has, has consist, and, and his top surrogates have consistently, co- consistently said that the economy is strong, the economy fundamentals are doing well, but it's, it's, it's looking like some of the messaging that has made its way out to voters tells a different story. Well, look, I think you've had many in the media actually focusing on the economy the past two weeks as the stock market has um, kind of been a little volatile, but we saw it Just actually. a little. But, but, you know, we saw it go back up today over 200 points. You know, I think if the market stabilizes, as I would imagine it will, uh, I think you're going to see a lot of confidence in the economy, not to mention the fact that unemployment's still near record lows. Uh, wages are actually on their way up. Manufacturing jobs are being increased. So I think if you look at the true fundamentals of the economy, they're in a strong place. I'll also just, you know, quickly comment on what Roger said. I think you're exactly right. This is one poll that's a national poll as a snapshot in time. Uh, we're a long way before the election. And ultimately, whether it's the primary polling or the electoral college, this is decided state by state. I I guess we're here to, to, to differ with one another. So allow me to do that. Um, there I, is there, and, there, and I'm sure there'll be plenty of things we agree on. 4.5 million jobs were created in, in the last 20 months of the Obama administration. 4.1 million jobs were created in the first 20 months of the Trump administration. And I say that not as a, as a partisan swing. What I, what I, my larger point with that is, is that what is happening with the numbers and to what extent and to more importantly when that actually manifests in people's perceptions of their day-to-day life uh, are two very, very different things. For example, in the Obama administration, we doubled our exports. We doubled our exports in five, five and a half years. But how to drive that home as a political message was very, very not, difficult. Yeah, it's not a good slogan. Like, oh, we doubled our export. Can't, right. Can't put so it on the, yard sign. The, 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 the time between when the good economic news comes into that hose and when it comes out of the other end of the hose and is actually like manifesting in people's lives is somewhat unknowable. Uh, and then the other thing is, is like, I think there's some sleeper narratives out there that these folks are going to have some trouble with, too. You're starting to see the disenchantment in what should be some of his strongest parts. Our coal production went down by 15 gigawatts in the last two years of the Obama administration. It has been reduced by 20 gigawatts in the first two years of the Trump administration. He chose coal, uh, nostalgic, iconic, you know, old school, and it's actually suffering even more under him, uh, partially due to some of these trade wars and things like that. So a lot, I, and, I, and I hear Matt on some of the economic numbers, we, Obama brought unemployment from 10 down to 5 and then the current occupant did the Herculean task of bringing it from five to four. But when you dig into some of this, 
uh, and you get past just kind of the talking points, I think there's some very troubling play tectonics uh, uh, at play underneath all that. And it'll be interesting how they play out over the next year or so. And even over the next few weeks, September 12th is that next Democratic presidential debate. It'll be in Texas. And the the DNC is formally going to announce tomorrow tomorrow who qualifies for the third Democratic presidential debate. I want to play just a bite from earlier today from former Vice President Joe Biden. He spoke earlier today in Spartanburg, South Carolina, about the issue of electability. Take a listen to the former Vice President. I think we're going to see his always worst instincts come out, both internationally and nationally, if the economy does, in fact, continue to slide. I think you're going to see more attacks on immigrants, the flame racial division, tear the nation apart and we so we can't just campaign to beat Donald Trump that was former Vice President Joe Biden uh, speaking earlier today in Spartanburg South Carolina commenting about the issue of electability as well as the issue of of how an economy in decline might impact the race and again that third that third Democratic presidential debate will be on September 12th it will be hosted by ABC News and Univision Uh, And according to 538, here are the 10 candidates who have qualified so far. These will be formally announced tomorrow. But the 10 candidates who have qualified so far, Biden, Buttigieg, Harris, Sanders, Warren, Booker, O'Rourke, Klobuchar, Castro, and Andrew Yang. All right, coming up, we're going to have more policy and politics. I do want to, we're also going to dive in uh, to this interview that Saleha Mosin had with Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin, redhead crossing the Bloomberg terminal. Mnuchin says ultra-long bonds under, quote, very serious consideration, end quote. The Secretary Mnuchin discussing long-term debt in the Bloomberg interview. Yield on 30-year Treasuries hit record low on Wednesday. Again, Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin says issuing ultra-long U.S. bonds is, quote, under very serious consideration, end quote, in the Trump administration, possibly setting up a move that will mark a historic revamp of the $16 trillion Treasury's market. Matt Maurer stays. He's a former senior White House advisor for the Trump State Department and president of Matt Maurer's LLC. Roger Fisk, Democratic strategist, longtime Obama aide and principal of New Day Strategy. You can download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. You are listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. I'm Kevin Cirilli. Chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television, Bloomberg Radio. And we're joined on the line by Andy Puzder. He is the former chief executive of CKE Restaurants, which, uh, of course, is the parent company of Hardee's and Carl's Jr. He's also the author of the new book, The Capitalist Comeback, and, of course, had previously been nominated to lead the Department of Labor in the Trump administration. He's out with a column today in the Washington Post titled, headlined, Elizabeth Warren is the real economic threat. Andy, why? Hey, Kevin. Uh, well, the, uh, you know, the title gets picked by the paper. My, my proposition <laughs> in the article, <laughs> the proposition in the article was that she, she's making an argument that, 
Uh, we're, we're, a recession is imminent. We're going to have another financial crash uh, because wages are stagnant, costs have gone up, and household debts increased. And uh, you know, unfortunately, most of the arguments she makes apply to in 2016. They certainly, certainly don't apply today. Wages are growing at an accelerated pace. Inflation is, uh, is under control, probably under where the Fed would like to see it be. And um, and household debt, while well, household debt has increased, some of it's a good sign. I mean, people are buying new cars, uh, applications for credit cards have gone down, bankruptcy have gone down. So we're seeing the results of a very positive um, economic programs such as reduced taxes, reduced regulation, a focus on domestic energy. It's creating jobs. The jobs creating competition for employees. That's driving up wages. Consumers are spending, and the economy continues to grow. So. I think the biggest threat would be if we elected somebody like Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders, and they implemented some of these economic policies they're talking about, which they don't even argue would generate economic growth. They, they're just trying to redistribute wealth. So I think she is a big threat. Andy Puzder's on the line. He's the former CEO of CKE Restaurants. Uh, he's a Cleveland, Ohio uh, native. Uh, a Republican. He was previously nominated to the to, to be Labor Secretary. I want to ask you, though, because so much of what we talk about on this program, as well as on Bloomberg Television, Andy, as you know, is you can't look at these economic issues in a vacuum. It's not just U.S. policies. It's not just what's happening in the United States. But in many cases, it's it's out of the control of whomever is occupying the White House. When you look at, at the U.K., for example, when you look at German Chancellor Angela Merkel on her way out, uh, the situation in Italy, as well as in France, I mean, th- th- these are very different economic landscapes. Do you have any apprehension about the impact that Europe could play on the U.S. economy? Uh, sure. And I, and I think the, the situation with the global economy is actually slowing growth in the United States. I think we'd be having 3 or 4% growth if the economy worldwide wasn't so slow. As a matter of fact, I think we'd probably get up to 3% uh, growth if uh, if Congress would approve the uh, USMCA trade agreement. But yes, it, it, it affects it, but it's not going to drive us into negative territory. A lot of the discussion's been about the country going into recession. We've, it, you know, GDP, even with all the problems in the world economy, GDP is still very positive. Uh, and they're, you know, the, the I, I just checked the GD, uh, GDP now from the Atlanta Fed, and they're projecting 2.3% GDP growth as of a couple of days ago. Uh, that's about a half a percent up from the day right. that the yield, yield curve inverted. They were, they were projecting about 1.8%. So, I mean, that, the numbers domestically look good. Consumer spending looks good. I'm sure you saw that the, um, the numbers on uh, confidence. Con- consumer confidence out of the conference board last week, they found the highest level since November of 2000. Uh, with right. respect to Americans' assessment of cur- current economic conditions, that means people are going to spend. You know, people have more money, they have more jobs, they're taking home more of it because of the tax cuts. Uh, and as long as they spend, that's 68 percent of GDP growth last year. So it'll be interesting. I feel good. It'll be interesting to see just how partisan line plays on economic uh, confidence as you crunch even the numbers more. I do want to just note there's a red headline crossing the Bloomberg terminal now. Feel free to weigh in if you'd like. Secretary Mnuchin telling Bloomberg's Saleha Mosin that ultra-long bonds 
are under, quote, very serious consideration. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin said issuing ultra-long U.S. bonds is, quote, under very serious consideration, end quote, in the Trump administration, possibly setting up a move that would mark a historic revamp of the $16 trillion Treasury's market. Uh, according to Secretary Mnuchin, he said, quote, if the conditions are right, then I would anticipate we will take advantage of the long-term borrowing and execute on that, end quote. Do you have any comment on that? Yeah, I think that'd be wonderful. I mean, interest rates, look, they aren't going to get much lower on these long-term bonds. You've got uh, Germany, for example, a week ago, issuing almost a billion dollars worth of, of negative interest rate bonds. You know, really not going to get a much better market in which uh, a government entity can sell bonds. We are the strongest economy in the world at the moment. We should do very well selling our bonds. And if we can, look, if we've got this debt, we might as well try and get the interest payments as low as we possibly can. So there's money left for other things. And these long-term bonds, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're a good solution. I think we should refinance as much of our debt as we possibly can at the lowest interest rates we can possibly get, just like I would do myself. All right. uh, I think the country should do the same thing. All right, Andy Puzzler, he's the author of the new book, The Capitalist Comeback. Final question. I hate to put you on the spot, Andy. What's the better burger, Hardee's or Carl's Jr.? <laughs> well, you know, they're the same. They're charboiled. Uh, I have my favorites at both brands. Uh, I've always been a big fan of the $6 burger, uh, and I love the um, just the regular cheeseburger at uh, at Hardee's and the uh, the famous star in Western Bacon Cheeseburger at Carl's. So they're, but they're, 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 it's Angus beef. It's cooked on a char broiler. It'll taste like you made it on your grill. Uh, All right. Go for it. All right. Well, how about we go? We talk tariffs uh, while, we, while we have like a taste test of the burgers. Andy Puzzler, everybody. He's out with that column <laughs> in the Washington Post uh, titled Elizabeth Warren is the Real Economic Threat. Coming up, Matt Mowers isn't eating burgers and neither is Roger Fisk. But we will be talking more political policy You can down and headlines of the day. You can download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at CutterEconomicForum.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. That song is the best song off of the best album, U2's. Uh, all that you can't leave behind. I'm uh, I'm joined by two political all stars: Matt Mowers, former senior White House advisor for the state for the Trump State Department, and president of Matt Mowers LLC, and Roger Fisk, Democratic strategist, longtime Obama aide, and principal of New Day Strategy. Gentlemen, thank you for being here. This Federal Reserve politicking has reached new uh, fever pitch this week, and now a Republican senator is seeking a hearing on the Fed's independence after a Bloomberg opinion editorial. Senator Tom Tillis of North Carolina said Wednesday that he was, quote, very disappointed, end quote, that New York Fed President Bill Dudley appeared to be, quote, lobbying the Fed to use its authority as a political weapon against President Trump 
end quote. That according to an emailed statement obtained by my colleague Rich Miller on the Bloomberg terminal. Quote, the president is standing up for America against China after 30 years of our country and our workers being ripped off. And there is now an effort to get the Fed to try to sabotage the president's efforts. That's according to Tillis. Remember that Dudley on Tuesday wrote in a Bloomberg opinion piece that the central bank resist interest rate cuts that would help Trump's reelection prospects. That drew a lot, a lot of criticism, uh, even from folks who are uh, critics of President Trump. Uh, but in the economic world, in the Wall Street's chattering class, they were uncomfortable that that the that that a former Fed that that Bill Dudley would be arguing that the central bank, the Fed, the independent central bank, would be somehow trying to respond to the president's tweets by uh, not thinking about the economy, but more thinking about the the politics of it. I want to quote from Dudley before I open it up to the panel. Quote, Trump's reelection arguably presents a threat to the U.S. and the global economy. End quote. That's from Dudley. He headed the New York Fed from 2009 to 2018. Obviously, the New York Fed is one of the perhaps without question the most powerful uh, Federal Reserve in the, in the country uh, that helps make up the larger central bank. Roger, is it appropriate for Bill Dudley to be opining in such a matter? Of course, of course, it is. If it's in the context of an op-ed or something, it's not like he's Tommy Corcoran trying to actually lobby Supreme Court justices directly. If you remember that story from the '40s, he's out there exercising his First Amendment rights. It's very interesting that Senator Tillis can have this appetite for this kind of scrutiny and completely look past the president's politicization of the Fed, where he is literally lambasting an appointee of his own. Similar to all the various members of the cabinet that he's chewed up and spit out over the last uh, two and a half years. Um, and the president is what set in motion this. And I honestly think Tillis is just probably doing a solid for the White House. Matt, before I let you respond, I just want to read a headline that crossed from the New York Times. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand has dropped out of the 2020 race after failing to qualify for the next debate. She ran as a champion of women's causes. But Kirsten... Kirsten Gillibrand is out. Let's stick with the central bank and coming up, we'll talk more politics. But Gillibrand out of the 2020 race. Go ahead, Matt. Yeah, look, I mean, I think if Dudley really wants to express his opinion, he should go run for office, right? Then he has a right to. That's a to, thought. Maybe he is actually yeah, trying to angle I, that. That's just, you know, it's kind of what it smells like to me. But look, the fact is, every president's going back to Andrew Jackson, his fight with the initial central bank, have been fighting with, uh, you know, the Federal Reserve. They've all got their opinions. It's up to those at the bank to maintain their neutrality, though. Um, and sure that they're doing what's in the best interest of the American economy, not what some former appointee wants to get a few minutes on air has an opinion for well, in, a, in a column. But see, what I find interesting about the, this broader debate, and I think it, it, we, don't, we don't know the answer to the question right now, but the question that I have in my mind after having covered the fights for the Fed, which have definitely intensified, at least in the past decade. I, I think back to Janet Yellen versus Larry Summers during the Obama White House, that Senator Elizabeth Warren, that a freshman member on the Senate Banking Committee, was instrumental in dismantling Larry Summers' bid to be chairman of the bank. That was incredibly political. Didn't play out necessarily dominating headlines and the mainstream press, but in the financial press, it was a huge story. Then you look at what happened uh, with Janet Yellen and then obviously with the arrival of and the ascent of Fed Chair Jay Powell having to walk this narrow tightrope as the president has brought an onslaught of criticism against him, coupled with the nominees, even the 
the trial balloons of folks to be named to the Fed board. Of course, I'm thinking of, of a host of different economists. Uh, the 999 plan. And Herman Cain. Herman Cain. There it is. Boom. So we've gotten a Carl's Jr. reference today and a Herman Cain reference in the today. It's a good day for well. fast food. It's it is. <laughs> Every day is on the Kevin Cirilli show. <laughs> Back on topic, Kev. But does the president have a point, Roger Fisk, in, in raising the criticism, forget stylistically how he's doing it, that global counterparts can react with more agility than the U.S. can, whether it's Europe or China, with their own central banking systems, and that the president would like to see the U.S. central bank be able to react on a global economy with more agility. He would have a point if that was not made in such a personal, punitive way. I mean, he, I honestly think this fits, this is just one data point in a pattern that fits. He doesn't see separations of powers. He doesn't see that certain uh, agencies have sovereign uh, missions that are separate from executive control. He just thinks the government is a toolbox that he should no, be able to, Ro- he should Roger, be able Roger, to open up and do whatever he wants with, order the military to build the wall, on and on. Look, he doesn't to care about you. any Look, of this I stuff. I think he's willing to ask questions where questions have been asked. For too long, we've been in American society pretending that certain areas of government uh, are third rails when he's actually willing to ask questions that need to be asked. I think it's right, you know, when even if we're looking at lifetime appointments or tenure appointments, that we actually question policies in place over there. I mean, there's, by the way, because ultimately the president's trying to deliver on what's best for the American people, which is a good, strong American economy. So it's right for them to ask those questions. I think it's, you know, it's anti-democratic in some ways to say that our elected leaders should not be asking these questions. I, I would love, I would honestly love for his actions and statements to be as principled as you're trying to portray them. And I respect what you're trying to do. What you guys always end up being put in the position of doing is he goes off the rails and says bizarre, erratic stuff. And then somehow, we're not talking about Joe Biden someone, now, are we? Someone has to, someone has, at least I'm willing to say that he says bizarre, erratic stuff. I'm not part of some <laughs> cult where, where I'm going to say that the, that dear leader is, is completely I think flawless. Joe Biden thought he was in North but Carolina. But time and time that, again, right? you guys have to end up being these kind of intellectual Zambonis that have to come along behind this guy and then try to fit it into some logical pattern as if it's principled when it's really just erratic in and of the moment, him saying and doing and thinking whatever the hell he wants, untethered from any of these lovely principles that you're enunciating right now. I'm going to let you respond to the intellectual Zamboni, and then I'm going to get it back on track. No, I think, look, I was on the campaign trail in 2016. I think the reason the president's so popular and people like me support him is because there are a lot of places in this country that have been forgotten, a lot of questions of institutions that haven't been asked, and he was willing to do it. Roger, what what is an intellectual Zamboni? This is so time and time again, I was up against someone from that atrocious Dobson Institute or whatever those people in Colorado are. And she was saying, no, he's what he's doing is actually flexing the powers given to the presidency under article, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, that has as much to do with who Donald Trump is and what he's doing as a a passage in the uh, some Hindu Sanskrit script somewhere. It has nothing to do with how he operates, how he thinks and what he does. But when you say Zamboni, do you actually mean the thing on the ice rink? We well, you could go with Zamboni. Before. You could actually go with Pooper Scooper. Like the, well, the, I'm, just the, actually, the I'm not even trying to be funny. I'm actually just the, the freight, the, the oh, fact, Zam- an intellectual Zamboni. I just that comes out and cleans the and ice cleans between the quarters. Ice. So right. Up, got it. So okay. over and over, there's minute, bizarre statements. And then, and, then, and then time and time again, right, his off. Republican just, uh, okay, supporters have to come in. Coming up, we're going to get it back on track. New York Times reporting that the Senator Kirsten Gillibrand has dropped out of the 2020 race. Again, Gillibrand is out, reporting first by the New York Times. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand. 
Gillibrand has dropped out of the 2020 Democratic race after failing to qualify for the third debate. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. The Fed's politicized, folks. Like it or not, the Fed is politicized. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Really, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio, navigating through the final days, folks, of August recess. The final days of August recess, but they'll be back and they've got a busy, busy agenda. This has truthfully become one of my favorite parts of the program. It's called What's On Your Radar? where we ask our panelists about what's on their radar. What are stories that are going on that you think are underreported, undercovered, or didn't, haven't gotten enough airtime or ink in, uh, in, in, the, in the political press internationally as well as it relates to Washington, D.C.? And we got two interesting folks, intellectual Zambonis, for lack I don't know. I still don't know Roger Fisk, Democratic strategist, if that's an insult or a compliment. But it's intellectual. It's, it's depending on the context. Depending on the context. Got it. Roger Fisk is here, Democratic strategist, longtime Obama aide and principal of New Day Strategy. Matt Mowers, former senior White House advisor for the State Department and president of Matt Mowers LLC. Matt, what's on your radar? So it was reported today that the Trump administration is uh, potentially ready to make outreach checks with the Houthi rebels in Yemen uh, in an attempt to bring to close one of the uh, longstanding and one of the worst humanitarian crises in the world right now. Wow. Um, if they can bring about peace there, I mean, I think, you know, the president's shown actually really regarded diplomacy as, as a forward action of the administration when it comes to foreign policy. You see it there. You've begun to see outreach potentially behind the scenes to the Maduro regime, also in Venezuela. I think, you know, the Trump administration has tried to use diplomacy uh, to bring peace to a lot of issues right now, and you're seeing that again potentially in Yemen. I'm curious to see how that Yemen development impacts the broader regional strategic approach, uh, and and especially in the context of, of when we get the Kushner. Well, what you know, and also what happens? How does that play into the relationship with Iran? Right. Um, you know, you had a lot of talk the past week about whether the president was willing to meet. Uh, with the leadership of Iran, he expressed an openness to do so. Yeah, you worked at the um, State Department. Should he should he, uh, should he meet with Rouhani? I, mean, I think I think he's shown a willingness to meet with anyone, right? If it means that we're going to be able to move closer to peace, bring good relations. I mean, who would have thought at the beginning of the Trump administration that he would be talking one on one with Kim Jong Un? Yeah, but I mean, it hasn't. Well, let's let's stick with the Rouhani for a second, though, because do you, do you think French President Emmanuel Macron, who kind of raised this, circulated this issue? Do you think he should have? done it? I mean, did he catch the U.S. off guard? Because a lot of Republicans in your circles, Matt Mowers, were critical of Macron, including the former U.N. ambassador Nikki Haley for even floating that idea. Yeah, I, I, I don't think he should have brought up on a whim, right? When conversations like that happen between two leaders, it usually is something that's a thought out uh, foreign policy process. It's usually worked at a working level first. Um, so I don't appreciate the way he did it. But Look, I think the president, President Trump, is always looking to be outside the box in the way he approaches these issues in foreign policy. And so if this is something that folks didn't think was possible, I think the president's open open to uh, potentially meeting with him. I could talk foreign policy all day. It's actually, truthfully, I find one of the more relevant topics and underreported topics in our current 
political climate and the U.N. General Assembly meeting next month, uh, sure to be a potential for that meeting between President Trump and maybe, maybe Iran's Rouhani. Um, and what the president's message will be at the U.N., that's going to be interesting as well. Uh, Roger Fisk, Democratic strategist, what's on your radar? We were chatting earlier about the uh, disconnect between economic numbers and people's perception of the economy. Yes. And we're, I stumbled on a stat recently, and this transcends administration, so I'm not putting this at um, the doorstep of the current occupant. But we are a couple months away of having more payday lenders in this country than McDonald's and Starbucks combined. Wow. That trend has been in place for quite a long time, so I want to be clear that um, this isn't a partisan thing. And I, I actually think that there's a great appetite for a new set of measurements or indexes, and frankly, Bloomberg would be the ideal genesis thereof, that try to capture uh, you know, M Main Street and, and try to come up with some numbers and some ways of measuring these things because we sit here and we and we throw around job numbers and things like that. And I think we can all agree that there's that there's a significant disconnect between where the numbers are, where the stock market is, and where, you know, uh, Dayton, Ohio is or Eugene, Oregon or anything else. So I stumbled on that recently and that to me told me that it's time for a 21st century set of tools to really me measure what the economy is like for people. Yes. And maybe you could talk to some of your very bright colleagues about that. Well, and even when I talk to, to folks at the Department of Labor in terms of when we look at jobs numbers, for example, and it's this broader, this the, to your point, Roger, this broader issue of how we compute economic data and economic indicators, we don't even, there's an argument, I, I'm not, based upon my reporting, I've interviewed pro people uh, on both sides who would argue that uh, the way we even track the growth of the internet and, and internet businesses and their impacts and uh, second jobs and whatnot and, and how businesses employ with internet jobs is, is so it's not even outdated it's never been invented right and, and you'd and think in this day and age of big data and analytics right that we could come up with something that really captures this in a real world real time kind of context rather than we're still basically using 20th century tools to measure this stuff and we're not even measuring the the real jobs of like what what people even i mean people who are uber drivers for example is that even factored into jobs numbers and i, I didn't get to this earlier but it, it's it illustrates the point that you're making that more u.s home buyers say they expect a session next year, um, more than 36% of 755 active buyers surveyed this month said that they expect the next recession to begin next year. That's according to a survey reached, uh, released uh, earlier today by Realtor.com. That's up from 30% in March. So if you're people, folks who are buying homes, uh, they they are seeing that uh, they, they have fears of a recession. Here's what's on my my radar. It's off of. It's the second red headline to cross from Saleh Mosin of Bloomberg's interview with Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin. You can find that cross-platform on every Bloomberg app platform website. But Treasury Secretary Mnuchin reiterating that the U.S. does not intend to intervene on the dollar for now. Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin said that the Trump administration does not intend to intervene in the dollar market right now, but signaled he would prefer any future move to be coordinated with the Federal Reserve and <laughs> global <laughs> allies. So, I mean, for all of this criticism... Just wait until Ann Coulter tweets, and then he'll, <laughs> he'll be completely down with it. For all of this criticism that the, the administration has lodged against the central bank, they are still holding off right now on intervening in the dollar market. Of course, we all remember that uh, this would be an aggressive red line to, if they were to do this, an aggressive red line uh, on China 
Uh, and earlier this month, was it this month? There was a lot, I mean, it all blends together. When the administration labeled China a currency manipulator, what we learned in the financial During press, this show. Yes, during the show. Last time you were here. Uh, what we learned, though, is that that really didn't, I don't want to say it didn't do anything, but that the real gauntlet, the real policy gauntlet would be engaging in the dollar market. All right, that's what's on my radar. Great radar. Matt Mowers, former senior White House advisor for the Trump administration, State Department, and president of Matt Mowers, LLC. Roger Fisk, Democratic strategist, longtime Obama aide and principal of New Day Strategy. Thank you both for being here. You can download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.